Hi again, everyone. It is a Monday night, and that means it is time to sit back and enjoy the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And maybe this week we'll get to talk a little bit about the Indians because they didn't seem to make any news this week. But the Reds again did as they... Well, we'll bring in our resident Reds expert from down south to talk about all this. Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I am well, and I'm recovering from the shock of the Reds having a winning week and the Indians not having a winning week. Uh, it's it's stranger than fiction. Uh, and it's, it, it's hard to believe that that is actually happening, but um, we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Mark, you know, I had a, I had a great weekend. Um, I had an opportunity to drive up to Chicago and and uh, see Greg Mitchell, of course, our producer this weekend, had a great time. So I was kind of out of the loop this weekend against Cincinnati, but I didn't have to be five hours out of town to know that Joey Votto started hitting the baseball. Yeah, and deservedly so. He, he earned the a National League Player of the Week and uh, hit 360. Had a 5.43 on base percentage, had four home runs, 10 RBIs, vintage Votto. And in one game, he actually reached base six times in one game. It's hard to believe. Uh, like he had three hits, two walks, and was hit by a pitch. And, uh, you know, Dave, we are, we are living in an era here in, in Cincinnati, in the Cincinnati area, in Reds fans. And it's unfortunate that the team is doing so poorly that Joey Votto does not get his due. And uh, I, I think for the betterment of the team, if they were able to trade Joey Votto, I know they would get a huge haul. But what a loss for Reds fans if that were to happen. This guy, he, he is the most, he, he may be one of the best hitters in the last 25 years that I've seen. And I, I've had other, you know, other people say that, but more importantly, I've had some of the real experts out there say that recently that he is, he is like watching an artist up there at the plate. And, uh, you know, we, we don't get the press for Joey down here as we should, but uh, watching him play day after day after day, he is a pitcher's nightmare. Everything seems to hit as a line drive. You get him out, it's because, you know, the, the second baseman is playing 100 feet behind, you know, in, in right field. He has a rope to him. Uh, he hits everything hard. Uh, he's a tough out. He has a great eye, and you just don't want to face Joey Votto in a tight game. Mark, tell me, can you think of any other baseball player during his career that has been as good as Votto but overshadowed because of the team's inability to win? Yeah, I, I think you, you might find this surprising, but I think Ted Williams. You know, Boston during his – I read Ted Williams' book. It's about 800 pages, but it was worth it. Uh, Boston was terrible during his reign most of the time. I think they won one pennant during that period of time. And had he played in New York, I mean, they would have, you know, the Ted Williams Stadium uh, but he, or Chicago, any major metropolitan area. But Ted Williams reminds me of Joey Votto or vice versa, and I know Ted Williams is Joey Votto's hero. He, he said that many times, and he, he just he marvels at the skill of Ted Williams. But you know, I think Ted is one of those guys who kind of hid in 
obscurity. And, and another one you might be surprised about is Ernie Banks. You know, Ernie Banks ah, that's one. Four. Yeah. Uh, he, he played in obscurity in Chicago, and they had dreadful teams, just just awful teams. And this guy was hitting 40, 45, 50 home runs for the Cubs. And, uh, you know, he, he was overlooked because of that. But uh, it's unfortunate, and hopefully Vado will have, you know, he did play in three playoff games, or, you know, playoffs and several games. So he, he has been on the big stage, and, he, and he's played well. But he is coming into his own right now. And given the fact that he has, he, he can play another six or seven, maybe eight years, uh, he, he is going to have some crazy numbers. And ironically, among those numbers will unlikely be 3,000 hits. He probably will not get 3,000 hits only because he walks so often. He'd have to hit 400, you know, to get 200 hits a year. And he, he's not going to do that because he doesn't have enough at-bats. So uh, it, it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, he's not going to get 3,000 hits probably unless he plays till he's 43, 44, and he might. But, uh, yeah, he, he's one of the great uh, underrated players, I think, in recent baseball history. Well, the Reds, of course, had an excellent weekend in Minnesota taking on the Twins. And on behalf of the Cleveland Indians... We thank you, because if it wasn't for the Reds winning in Minnesota, the Indians would be farther down in the standings than they are right now to Minnesota. That's because the Indians lost three out of four to Seattle at home over the weekend. Mark, you know, back when it was the big red machine, I remember the team that the Reds just did not match up well with was the Chicago Cubs. That was just one of the teams that they just never could seem to beat, no matter how good they were. And the Indians are the same way with the Seattle Mariners over the past few years. They just cannot seem to get over the hump. Is there any rhyme or reason to that that you've seen throughout the years of baseball? It's all about pitching matchups. You know, some teams have pitchers that just match up well against a certain team. And I don't know if you guys faced King Felix uh over the weekend. But, no, not uh, this weekend. Well, that's even more of the point. I think had you, you'd be in even bigger trouble. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think there's a, some teams that, that have a pitching staff that matches up maybe against left-hand hitters or right-hand hitters, and maybe it could be the stadium you're playing in. Uh, but it, that always seems to happen. You know, you'll have a year where uh, one team just beats the brains out of another team, no rhyme or reason. And the next year it can be reversed. So it's, it's, it's part of baseball. That's, you know, that's part of the charm, I guess. Well, the Reds are 7-21 and 21 heading into tonight's action with Milwaukee. The Brewers are coming in off of a weekend series against the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field. Meanwhile, the Indians are at home tonight. They are taking on the Texas Rangers in the start of a series. And the, ring, uh, the Indians, I should say, are 14-12 and 12 on the season, so even after a bad weekend against Seattle, uh, they still have a winning record, uh, two games above 500. Mark, the, the Indian fans are starting to get a little bit upset about the fact that Josh Tomlin continues to struggle as the number five starter. Now, what the Indian fans don't seem to understand, Mark, is if your biggest worry is your number five starter, what kind of worries can you really have? <laughs> Yeah, I, 
I think uh, a lot of this stuff is, is interesting. There was a time in recent Indian history, not that long ago, uh, that they would have been thrilled with the team they have right now, even though they're off to a slow start. But I, I mean, Dave, really, if you have, if you look around the, the American League Central, do you really see a threat there? Just Minnesota. Yeah, but I saw Minnesota play this weekend, mm-hmm. and they've they've lost nine out of ten. Uh, they have they have a horrendous pitching staff. What I saw, and a, and a worse bullpen. I mean that bullpen is just. <laughs> I mean if that's what is that what they're going with this year, and I don't see them as a you know a, a major offensive force right now. That they had a, a very good year last year, but I'm not convinced it was because they were one of the best teams in baseball. I think had they been in the American League East or the West, they got their heads handed to them. Uh, but the, the American League Central has been weak outside of Cleveland. And that gave Minnesota a chance to beat up on some really bad teams in, in the Central. And, and, you know, they eased into the playoffs and they got beat. But, uh, you know, I think people expected too much out of that team this year. And I, I think they're, they're probably not as good as they were last year. But they're not as bad as they've played so far this year. But I, I, I don't see anybody in that division that's going to, you know, seriously challenge Cleveland. Let me talk a little bit about some of the pitching that the Indians have. And I'm not talking about the the starting rotation. I'm talking about pitchers that could take the place of Tomlin in the fifth spot of the rotation. Mark, you tell me, I I know what you're going to say before we even get into it, but let's talk a little bit about this and just how these pitchers could help out the Cincinnati Reds, even though it's my contention that the Reds pitching is a heck of a lot better this year than it was last year. But we've seen this we've seen this movie with Josh Tomlin before. Last year in April, he had five starts. He had an eight point eight seven ERA in five April starts a year ago. But at the end of the year over his last ten starts, he went six and zero with a three point one one ERA. He he gets himself straightened out. He does not like to pitch in cold weather and I understand why. Mark you you're a pitcher. He, Tomlin is not a flamethrower. He is a guy that wins based upon his accuracy, his pinpoint accuracy. And when the weather's cold, Mark, the ball's slippery. Your hand can't get a great feel for the baseball in cold weather. And when that happens, obviously as a pitcher, you're not able to put the baseball where you want to put it. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, if you haven't pitched before, you may not appreciate what you just said, but that's that's accurate. And especially when we were playing, you know, in cold weather up here, and the ball would get wet and cold and heavy. Uh, I know they change balls every other pitch in the big leagues, but it's the same thing. Your, your fingers get slippery, and a breaking ball, you have to have adhesion on the ball to to, to make that ball break. And we can't feel your fingers, or you don't have that that touch. And, and people don't realize how precise major league pitchers are, if they're good, uh, in, in terms of their control. And there was an old saying, remember Satchel Page pitched for Cleveland? Oh, yes. Uh, but years and years ago. Well, I don't remember seeing him, don't <laughs> But I remember the so name. I, I, I saw him pitch on TV. He pitched for the Indians in, what, 50 or 48. He pitched in, mm-hmm. I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that game, but I saw, I saw film of it. And he had, a, he had a great saying about his, his control. They said he could throw a strike. Somebody asked him, could he really throw a strike over a gum wrapper? And he said, which side? 
and he spoke, he had absolutely pinpoint control. And what you don't realize is when you when you know where the ball is going and you can put it in a, in a specific part of that plate, people think that throwing a strike means you throw it over the middle of the plate. That means you get your brains handed to you. Mm-hmm. Where you want to throw a strike is just an inch off the, the sweet part of the bat for, for the hitter. That's where you want to throw a strike. If a guy's a good outside pitch hitter, you want that pitch just a quarter of an inch off the plate so he misses it by an inch and he hits a ground ball to second rather than driving a ball to the right field corner. That's what control is. It's You've heard the saying, being wild in the strike zone. That's where pitchers like Tomlin, if they don't have control, they're going to get hammered because he doesn't have overpowering stuff. And if he throw, if he makes a mistake in the middle of the plate, that means you accidentally throw the ball down the middle of the plate to a Joy Votto or somebody like that, you know, you're, you're going to get killed. And that's what a lot of rookies, young pitchers, they think they have good control because they can throw it over the plate. Well, that's going to get you back into double-A ball. Right. Now, so, here, you know, he, here's a list of the pitchers, Mark, that the Indians have right now on the DL. Danny Salazar with a right shoulder problem. Ryan Merritt's got a left knee problem, which is the knee that he pushes off on because he's a left-hander. And Cody Anderson is still going through a comeback from Tommy John surgery. All three of those pitchers, Mark, have had starts with the Indians over the last three years. So those are three that they could bring in and put at the number five spot if they could get their health problems fixed. Now, two other options that the Indians have are prospects. Adam Plutko, that's P-L-U-T-K-O, and Shane Bieber. Hopefully no relation to the Justin Bieber, but he he is another one that they have got. And they are actually going to, they've got a doubleheader coming up with the Blue Jays later on this week, on Thursday. One of those two are going to come up and start that game. They don't know, they, well, at least they haven't announced which pitcher is going to come up and start. But Pluko has logged seven and two-thirds perfect innings for Columbus this year. And he's got a 2.35 ERA and five starts. Bieber, who's not on the 40-man roster, so they'd have to do a little finagling around to get him on the roster and up to the team, has got a 1.16 ERA with 30 strikeouts and only one walk in 31 innings for double-A Akron. Do Robert Stevenson's numbers even match what the Indians have down in the minor leagues with those two guys? Not at all. And, uh, you know, speaking of what you just said about the pitching staff, I've got a trade for you. Okay, let's talk. You and I are general managers for the Reds and the Indians. I will give you Billy Hamilton and Homer Bailey for one of your starters, one of the guys you just mentioned. For any one of the five? Yes. I would. I told you last week I'd give you Danny Salazar for Eugenio Suarez. Oh no, I wouldn't give you Suarez, but I'd give you Billy Hamilton, who, who can be very helpful to you guys defensively and steal your bases, and you know, hit sometimes. And Homer Bailey, <laughs> who you're going to need in the playoffs, an experienced guy. And uh, you give me Salazar, and we got a deal. Mark, I'll tell you right now, I would give you Salazar for Bailey even up if you would pay half of Bailey's salary. Well, I'm going to give you Billy Hamilton, too. Don't, you don't want him at all? No. No, we've got a log jam in the outfield. Wait a minute. We just signed Melky Cabrera. Well, 
No, but the, but Brad Zimmer doesn't does a, a a great not a not a great job in center field, but he's he's more than adequate. He's going to hit the ball better than Billy Hamilton does, and I'm not interested in bringing on another outfielder. I, I may have been a year ago, but not anymore. Oh my God! You used to think Billy Hamilton was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah, I've, I've seen him enough now to realize that. Okay. Yeah. So just just say it, Mark. Mark, you were right. Mark, you were right about a couple of things, which is a first on this show. You were right about (laughs) Billy Hamilton. You were right about the fact that the Reds, what were you, only one game off of, I think you said in the preview show that the Reds may not win four games in April. I think they won five, didn't they? Well, now they've got seven. Yeah, well, I said that they wouldn't, I, I said they may be ten games behind. Uh, the, the, the Cardinals uh, at the end of April, and I was conservative. Uh, they're going to probably be 13 games or 14 games behind, but uh, they're they're already 14 <clears throat> games under 500, which leads me to our weekly Mets comparison. <laughs> okay. Remember the, the 1962 Mets, which are known for their badness. <clears throat> they lost 120 games. They won 40, they, the two games they didn't play, so they didn't play 162, but they they were 40 and 120. That team, at this time, after 20, uh, let me see, 28 games, they were 9 and 19. And the Reds are currently 7 and 21. The Reds are on a pace to lose 134 games. Will they do that? No, I don't think they will. But it's almost a sure thing they're going to lose 100, which means they're probably going to get the number one draft pick next year. So this this season for Reds fans, uh, it is, they're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to win. They will not play 500 ball. And the only thing they can hope is that some of these young pitchers come around this year. This is the year that they turn it around. Uh, they get rid of Robert Stevenson. They get rid of Billy Hamilton. They get rid of Homer Bailey. Uh, they get rid of some of these other guys who simply have not performed, and they move on. That's the only hope we as Reds fans have. And I wanted to ask you, in, in terms of your history with the Cleveland Indians, can you remember a team that lost or, or had the, the ability to lose 110 to 120 games? Have the Indians ever been that bad? Um, I, I don't remember the Indians. The Indians being that bad. I, I I do recall, and I'm sure a lot of people do, the Houston Astros were that bad. Only well, the Houston Astros never lost as many games as the Mets did. No, they never did, but they were a bad baseball team, Mark, just just about seven or eight years ago. Yeah, they were, but they. I'm talking about losing 120 games. I mean, that's, that is world record-setting stuff. I mean, in terms of uh, a team being really, really bad, and it, it's it's incredulous to think of the roster the Reds have. You know, we talked about Joey Votto and Suarez, and they, they've got some guys who who can play ball, but to be this bad uh, this early in the season is well, it led to the manager being fired, and, and maybe uh, you know, new management would can turn this team around, but. 
the sad part is it's still April, and for Reds fans, the season is over. I mean, they're, they're already you know 14 games below 500, and there's no way they're going to play 500. And I've just tried to look historically. I don't remember the, the the Indians were really bad in the mid '60s, and you know they they had some McDowell and some other guys, but. They, they, during that era, I don't remember them being this bad, and I wondered if you did. No, and, you know, it's funny that you bring this up because, you know, my father always used to say under the Indians when they when Gabe Paul was the general manager, they were either a strong hitting team with no pitching or a strong pitching team with no hitting. They never could put the two together, and that's why the Indians were never that bad. This Reds team... Is, is almost an anomaly, Mark, because most of those bad teams, for example, that Mets team that you're talking about, the only thing anybody can remember about that Mets team is who the manager was. Yeah, Casey Stengel. Yeah, that's, and he's the only, he's the only part of that team that anyone can remember. This Reds team, we've already started off talking about Joey Votto. We've talked about Robert Stevenson. We've talked about Suarez, Billy Hamilton. These are players that have played, Mark, especially Hamilton and Votto, if you think back, those are players that were al- aligned with this baseball team when it was a good baseball team. And you can't even go back to the, the managerial staff and say that they were a part of a winning organization because none of these guys that are on the staff were around this team prior to 2013, were they? No, there's only three players left uh, that were, were on that team in, in 13, uh, three or four. And I think it's Bailey, it's Vado. Hamilton didn't come on board, what, till, till 14, maybe the end of 13. Uh, but there haven't been that many guys, you know, that hung around. If you, if you look at the transactions, everybody's been traded. And that's that's the sad part. But uh to find this kind of ineptitude so far in this season, but by far this is the worst start in Reds history, no question about that. Uh, but it, it's hard to imagine that a team in this day and age where there's so much parity in baseball, that it's hard to develop a really great team, you know, a team that would win 120 games in a year. But it's also hard to produce a team that will lose 120 games because of parity, drafts. You, know, you you always, if you're a bad team, you draft, you know, you get the first pick or, or second pick. So because of that, there's parity in baseball. Most teams in baseball, if you look at last year's records, they will win between 80 and 85, 86 games, maybe 78 to 88. Maybe that's the, a better range. Within that 10-game window, that's the majority of baseball teams. And the, and the reason is, you know, Everybody drafts in the same pool, and you have to be really, really bad at drafting or trading to develop a team that can lose over 100 games, unless you try to. And, and that, is your, that is your plan. You, you want to have really bad teams so you get really good draft choices. Now, I'm not saying that's what the Reds did, but you almost have to conclude that is their plan that we purposely want to put out and lose as many games as we can and get the best draft choices we can, sign young players that are cheap, and then come back and win in two, three years. 
Mark, I, I want to get back to the, the Reds here and a couple of bright spots that I think I, I see in their organization right now. But I want to get back to what the Indians did over the past week. And, and it, for a large part, it went practically unnoticed. And that is the signing of Melky Cabrera. I mean, I thought, Mark, first of all, when I first saw that they signed Melky Cabrera, it, it was a complete and utter surprise to me because I didn't know. First of all, I forgot all about Melky Cabrera. That, that part, and, and it's hard to forget about Melky Cabrera because of the fact that this guy at 33 years old has had an outstanding yet practically unnoticed baseball career. I mean, it, it's hard to, it's hard to understand. You understand the, the war ratio better than I do. But tell me a little bit about this. His war right now for his career, Melky Cabrera, is a 21.6. Well, that's wins against replacement, as you know. And what that means is that if you put an average player in his place over the, over the span of his career, they would have been a zero. That means they would have, you know, they have a zero war, that they, they didn't add to the winning for a team. So what that is saying, in essence, that over a period of time, he has won 21 games because of his presence on the field. And that, that's, a, that's a big number. And I don't know what Joey Votto's is, but I'm sure it's more than that. But uh, that is a very solid, you know, Major League Baseball player to do that. And, and you're right. When I, It was kind of a footnote in what I read. Oh, by the way, the Indians pick up Memphis. And you know what that means, Dave, is that the Indians are so loaded with talent that adding Cabrera to that team is not is not a big deal, and he's going to have to fight for playing time. And I think he would be he'd be a starter today on many teams. He, you know, the Indians just have so much talent that uh, he's going to have to you know to perform to keep keep playing. Mark, he he is the type of ball player that I think he's going to step into the right field position by the month of June. I'm going to say June. And he will solidify that right field position. Right now, Lonnie Chisholm Hall has had every, every chance at taking over that position. And either he hasn't done it because of his bat or he hasn't done it because of his calf. Now, I'm the type of guy that, you know, when, when somebody gets hurt, I understand it. But a chronic injury, you just cannot play with that. And Lonnie Chisholm Hall, over the last two years, has had a chronic calf injury. It's obvious that either this thing is going to need surgery or he's never really going to get over it. They're saying now he has finally been cleared to just start hitting the ball off the tee. Mark, this is a calf injury that has bothered him since the first week of the season. And this is the same thing that happened last year where he missed almost the entire second half of the year with the same type of injury. But I look at Melky Cabrera's numbers, and I just want to throw a few things out at you. First of all, he's been in the league since he was age 20. In 2005, he came up and played six games with the New York Yankees. People don't remember that he literally came up initially with the New York Yankees, then was traded to the Atlanta Braves, then went to Kansas City in 2011, went to San Francisco in 2012, was traded to Toronto for a couple of years, 2013 and 14. Then went to the Chicago White Sox in 15 and 16 and signed on with Kansas City a year ago, and they released him. Over the past seven years, Mark, 
the worst amount that he has hit for home runs was three, and that was in 2013. We're going to just eliminate that year because he was hurt practically the entire year. But below that, 16 home runs, 85 RBIs, his career average for over 162 games, 13 home runs, 74 RBIs, and a batting average of 286. That earned him a contract of $14 million with Kansas City on a one-year deal. The Indians signed him to a minor league deal. And again, you know, the rich keep getting richer. And if this guy comes back and plays up to his potential, Mark, I mean, the Indians have not been able to plug 16 homers and 85 RBIs into the right field spot since Manny Ramirez played there. Do you think the Indians should have re-signed Jay Bruce? Yes. Without a doubt, that was the one thing I thought they did wrong during the offseason was not re-sign Jay Bruce. And when they lost Carlos Santana, they definitely had the money to re-sign Jay Bruce. Why they didn't pull the trigger on that one, Mark, is still a curiosity to me. Yeah, when I heard about that, and he went back and signed with the Mets, uh, I was saying, what, what am I missing here? It seemed like a good place for him to be because he was surrounded by good hitters and he, he does have a tendency to strike out a lot but that's okay in, in that in that on that uh, on that team because he brings power good defense he's going to drive in a lot of runs he's going to hit you 30 home runs and if he hits two you know 38 so what uh, it, it's I was really surprised they didn't do that because they, they did have the money and I didn't didn't understand why they didn't I didn't either, Mark, and that, that's a real good question as to why they didn't do that, but he only, he only signed with the Mets for 13 million. Yeah, when I saw that contract, I'm thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You don't know what they're thinking long term, who they have in the minors, you probably know better than I, but he just seemed to me to be a guy that, uh, uh, you know, would help that team a lot. And, uh, did, you know, didn't get much of a chance to, to either they didn't offer him enough or they just said, uh, you know, go away. We don't want you. Mark, I wanted, I wanted to bring this up, uh, about Devin Mesoraco and Francisco Mejia. Uh, Mejia is the number one prospect that the Indians have in their minor league system. He's the switch hitting catcher that two years ago hit in 50 consecutive games in the minor leagues. He's got a great season going on with AAA. He came up at the end of the year last year in September, hit over 300 for the Indians as a 20-year-old. But he's a catcher. Mark Devin Mesoraco came up, and he was, of course, everybody was singing the praises of Devin Mesoraco and how he was going to be the next coming. Even people were, were comparing him to Johnny Bench with the Reds and how he was going to be the next great catcher for the Reds in their system. The problem is, is that Mesoraco seems to have the Chisholm Hall disease, is that he cannot get over an injury very quickly. He's injury prone. If you're the Indians, Mark, and, and I'm just using Mesoraco as a measuring stick, and you've got a 20-year-old kid down in the minor leagues, and I, they've already tried him at third. Do you stick that kid in the outfield when when you know you've got a catcher that can hit like this? Do you try to find another position for him? I don't think so. You know, catchers are a very hard commodity to come by when they can hit. Uh, catchers typically are going to hit you 230, 240. It's, it's an exception when they don't. 
you bring him up because they're great on defense. Now, I don't know how good this guy is on defense, uh, but, you know, if, if he is if he's productive offensively, they're going to find a spot for him one way or the other, but catchers are so hard to find. And if you, if you tell me this guy is a, a solid defensive player and he can swing a bat, I would not let him go. So you would continue to let him go ahead and catch? Yeah, I would. Unless you're saying that his defensive prowess is, is less than average, uh, that's a different story. No, uh, he, it, supposedly he's an above subpar catcher. Now, what does that mean? Nobody really seems to know. He didn't catch a lot when he was up with Cleveland, but I haven't heard anybody complain about his defensive ability. Well, I mean, to me, that's that's a real valuable commodity. Even if he's not on your roster, he'd be great trade bait because a catcher who can hit, to me, is more important than a, you know, a left fielder who can hit. I mean, there's a lot of left fielders. And there's very few catchers who can hit. And if he's good defensively, that, that that's a real trade chit for the Indians. They don't need him or don't want him. Uh, there's a lot of teams out there that would be after a catcher who can hit, <laughs> you know, as long as he can catch. You know, we've talked a lot about what the Reds should do. We did that last week when we discussed Brian Price being fired and Jim Riggleman taking over as the manager and what the Reds should do possibly blowing up the entire thing and bringing in some young ball players and selling that to the to the fans of Cincinnati that this is the reason you should come see this team play. Mark, a couple of the players that I want to bring up that I think they could do that with on this year's team, absent the fact of Joey Votto, is Tyler Maley. You know, Tyler Maley is really starting to attribute himself to the major league level and starting to make a name for himself, I think, around major league baseball as he worked into the seventh inning just in the second time of his young career. Mark, a year ago this time, he was a double-A. And now he has made himself up to the major league spot as being the number two starter, I think, on this baseball team. You know, it's funny. I think I've been working with you too long. Uh, here in my <laughs> notes, the next thing I was going to bring up was Tyler Maley. Uh, you, you saw the same thing I've seen. I mean, this guy, yesterday in the sixth and seventh inning, he was throwing 96-97. And he was getting stronger. And I mean, the Indians or the uh, Twins are a pretty good hitting team. And he was he was blowing it by him. I mean, he wasn't trying. He wasn't pulling anybody. He has a great slider. And the thing I like is his, his motion. He's got a little bit of a three quarter slot, you know, in his arm. He's, he doesn't come directly overhead, and that makes that slider really bite. And with that fastball he's got, he's awfully hard to pick up. Uh, I listened to the Indian or the uh, Twins broadcast yesterday, and they were talking in the third, fourth, and fifth inning. He was striking a bunch of guys out, and they said, you know, it looks like the the Twins hitters are just not picking the ball up. That it, it, the movement is so good, but you, you see, you know, th- this guy is really put together. He, he's a strong dude. Yeah, he is. And you know, he's got broad shoulders, and he has a he has what they call easy gas. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's not an indigestion problem. It is when a pitcher, <laughs> it's when a pitcher can throw 95, 96, 97, and it looks like he's throwing 88. He just has a very repeatable motion, free and easy to the plate, and all of a sudden the ball is on top of you. And I really like what I'm seeing with him uh, and his 
his makeup, his demeanor, he's mature. And don't forget, this is the guy who pitched a perfect game last year. Mm-hmm. And, and the year and the year before, he pitched a no hitter. This, this is this is a kid who snuck up on everybody, and he, he has got some he's got some real upside with this team. And the good thing about having a team that's not going to contend this year is you get a guy like Tyler Maley who could pitch. He can get 25, 30 starts this year. And he'll he'll learn to pitch this year without the pressure of a pennant race or, you know, struggling to be in the rotation because, you know, think about the Cleveland Indian rotation today. As good as Tyler Maley is, he wouldn't make your rotation. You've got too many good pitchers for him. He's, he's too young and inexperienced. So he wouldn't even get a chance with the Indians. With the Reds this year, he's going to get a chance. Well, look how long it took Clevenger and Merritt just to make a name for themselves in this this uh, uh, rotation that the Indians have. And Clevenger is only getting the opportunity to be in the rotation just simply because Danny Salazar is out of the rotation and on the DL and down in Columbus trying to work his way back. You're right. Tyler Maley has got an opportunity here to really make a name for himself, and not if, I'm going to say this, not if, but when the Reds trade Homer Bailey before the year is out, Maley's going to move into that number one spot in the rotation. He's going to learn, he's going to learn basically baptism by fire, Mark, how to be the ace and go up against aces without the pressure of a pennant race. Yeah, I like that about him. But the thing I really like about Tyler is his his, his makeup, his mental makeup. Uh, he's well, he's grounded. Uh, he, he's soft spoken. He you know he doesn't make a lot of fuss and commotion in the clubhouse. He, he just he's, he's a professional already, and he's a young man. Uh, so I, big things for him. The other guy I had a note on here I wanted to bring up was Amir Garrett. And, you know, down here in Cincinnati. We have worked together too long. Holy cow. He was the other guy. Well, Amir Garrett and uh, uh, Tyler Maley were the two guys I wanted to talk about. But Amir Garrett, uh, there's a lot of talk about him moving into the rotation. And I can understand why. But, you know, he, to me, is a guy who's got decent stuff. His numbers right now are very good. Uh, he's got a 176 ERA. He's been in 12 games. He's pitched 15 innings. He's given up 14 hits. That's good. Uh, he's only walked two. But he has a 104 whip, which is good. But they're hitting 255 against him. And he, I have seen him pitch this year where he has been absolutely hammered and the ball's been caught. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I know that happens to a lot of pitchers. I don't think he's ready yet. I, I would keep him in the bullpen. He's a left-hander. The Reds need a left-hander in the bullpen. And like they used to do back in the old days, in the 60, 50s, 60s, and 70s, that used to be where your future starters got their experience. They went to the bullpen. And I would keep him down there and bring him into 30, 40, 50 games this year and let him get used to the big league slowly. And then next year, perhaps put him in the rotation if he, you know, gets off to a good start. But I don't know what you saw with him, but his stuff to me is it's okay, it's pretty good stuff, but not nearly as good as Tyler Maley. And, and I, I just don't think Amir Garrett, despite his good numbers, is ready to move into the rotation. Here's what I saw of Amir Garrett. 
He needs to develop a third pitch. He's got that fastball. He's got the slider. He doesn't have great control of his curveball yet. And, Mark, if, if he can develop a third pitch, something that he can develop an out pitch with, and a lot of people think, you know, well, an out pitch is just something that you've, a pitch that you threw that the guy made the out on. No, you've got to have an out pitch in order to get batters out. And right now they can lay back on that fastball and that slider of Garrett's. But when, when he's had success, Mark, it's when he's had that third pitch that he could go to, either the changeup or the curveball. And that's when he's most successful. Well, if I, if I was a pitching coach, I wouldn't let any of my guys come into the big leagues without a changeup, particularly if they're left-handed. Because if you have a, a decent slider that can come in to a right-hand hitter and, and go down to his right foot as he's facing you, that's what you want that slider to do. And then you have a, a, a changeup that can break away from the right-hand hitter. That makes your fastball pick up four or five miles an hour because you've got to look for that change on the outside corner and you've got to look for the slider on the inside corner. And then you can throw your fastball down the middle because the hitter's got to cheat, you know, on those breaking balls. But you're right. All he has is that slider that comes into the right-hand hitter, and you really, he really can't throw it to a left-hand hitter because he doesn't have control of it yet. It breaks way too much, and he and he's, ends up, he gets behind in the count, and that's where he gets hit because he doesn't have that third pitch. That, that's, that's very accurately put in terms of what he needs. But tonight, it's going to be interesting because Brandon Finnegan is getting another start, and his numbers are, are really bad. I mean, he has a batting average against a 346. The league is hitting 346 against him. That's hard to do. And his whip is 2.19. Uh, he's given up 11 earned runs in, let's see, any pitch, uh, 12, uh, in 12 innings. So uh, he, he is not, he, he's striking out fewer than he's walking. And I just think this is going to be his last start uh, unless he can go out there and throw six or seven innings tonight. You know, there there are three things you need, Mark, as a pitcher at the major league level. You've got to have one of these three things. If you don't have any of the three, you're not going to make it at the major league level. You've either got to have great movement of the baseball, no matter what. You've got to have the accuracy to put the ball where you want to, no matter what. Or you've got to be able to change speeds. If you've got one of those three, you've got an opportunity to be a major league pitcher. If you've got two of those three, you've got an opportunity to be a very good major league pitcher. And if you've got all three, you're going to be a great major league baseball pitcher. There are very few pitchers that have had all three. But when you look at the greats that have gone down the line in Major League Baseball, and one of them I could think of right now that we've got in the game today, Corey Kluber's got all three, Mark. He has got all three. Greg Maddox had all three. Tom Seaver had all three. Those guys were able to put the ball wherever they wanted. They could change speeds whenever they wanted, and their ball had great movement. And when you've got all that as a pitcher, that's what you need to be a great major league pitcher. One of the things I've talked about since we've been on the air this, this season is my frustration with the Reds in not going out and signing anybody over the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, okay, I didn't expect them to go sign uh, 
you know, a, a $25 million a year player. I really wanted them to, but they, I knew they wouldn't. But what they do, they nickel and dime it. Uh, they, they got Quackenbush, they got Stevens, they got Gallardo, they got Rainey. And, and they give these guys collectively, they probably, I think if I recall, maybe three or four million dollars tied up in these guys. Every one of them is now in the minor leagues. Here's their ERAs. Quackenbush, 11. Stevens, 18. Gallardo, 30. Rainey, 31. Those are ERAs. Now, why couldn't they combine the dollars with they, they, they gave these guys who <laughs> clearly don't belong in the big leagues and go out and get a usable player, whether it's a, a middle infielder or an outfielder or a bullpen guy, whatever, and, and pay them decent money and come in and let them contribute. Did anybody really think Gallardo was going to come in after what he did the last two years and help this team? What, who's making those decisions? Dick Williams. It, it makes no sense to me. No, I agree with you. If, you. if you're going to wisely spend your money, you claim you know, poverty when the the TV contract pays you more money than your payroll. And that doesn't include ticket sales. And you're telling me you don't have money to go sign a player, but then you go ahead and do these stupid deals. And that's that's frustrating to a fan who looks at these guys and say, why are they here? Because they're using the Indians' famous philosophy of years ago. Bring in as many relief pitchers as you can during spring training, throw crap against the wall, and hope some of it sticks. And that's exactly what they did with these guys that they brought into spring training, Mark. They threw crap against the wall, hoping they could find, and I hate to use these metaphors, lightning in a bottle out of one of the relief pitchers that they were able to keep them on the major league level and have a decent relief pitcher coming in. That's what the Indians did with Brian Shaw. That's what they did with Dan Otero that's on the team right now. They've done that with several different pitchers throughout the years, and that's what the Reds were trying to do. Didn't work. Well, one guy, one guy that has been a surprise and a pleasant, pleasant surprise is Dylan Floro. I don't know if you've been following him. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> he, he, I like his stuff. I mean, he throws hard. He's got good movement. Uh, he has been in. Let me see. He's been in six games. Uh, he's pitched ten innings, giving up eleven hits, only walked two, giving up only one earned run, and he struck out seven. And he's got a WHIP of one point three. I mean, that that's good stuff. And, but he's only throwing 91 miles an hour. But so what? I mean, he's throwing the ball over the plate, and uh, that you know that when the Reds make a good deal like that, they should be recognized. But for the most part, these these people they brought on board this year have not panned out, and it, it's frustrating when they don't make the. They, they have all winter, you know, to evaluate talent, and you're telling me that Gallardo is the best you could come up with between the end of. September last year and start opening day this year? That, that's absurd. Well, you got to wonder what they're doing during... Uh, I know the weather was bad in Cincinnati throughout the winter, but still, uh, you got to lock yourself in a film room and have lots of meetings with your your scouting staff to determine who to bring into spring training. And Obviously, the Reds didn't do enough of that during the offseason. Well, I... Again, this comes down from the top. This is not a decision that is made by Dick Williams alone. This comes from ownership of how they uh, spend their resources. And again, I don't think anybody expecting them to go out and you know sign a twenty-five million dollar player. But you know, with all the ac- 
well, but, but the lack of activity this year, there was a lot of talent that's still out there on the shelf today that nobody's picked up. And, and they, they go sign Gallardo and, and people like him. And it, it, that's, that, that's the frustrating part of it because they don't come out and say what their strategy is, and as a result, people get frustrated. And, and, and what's happening is people are not showing up at the games. <laughs> And you're you're not going to get a lot of play or a lot of people show up at the gates right now because they they just don't. First of all, the weather has been terrible. I mean, the weather has absolutely been atrocious, Mark. And you know, Major League Baseball really has to look into something because this, this has gotten to the point where it, it's almost unbearable to go out and watch a baseball game anymore if you're somewhere in the Midwest and farther east. It, it's unbearable to go out. A football game is a lot different. It, it's a different culture. But a baseball game, you're expected to go out, have a hot dog, have a beers, you know, short sleeve weather, enjoy the sun. There's been no sun, Mark. <laughs> There's been no sun in Cincinnati. There's been no sun in Cleveland. And it's harder than hell to, to hit the baseball when the weather is 30 degrees or below that. And it's harder than hell to throw the baseball when you've got a problem like that. It, Major League Baseball's got to look into this somehow, some way. I had a debate uh, with a friend of mine down in Texas this week about that, uh, of how a lot of the Major League ball players are going to the union and saying, 162 games is too many. How can you cut that back? You know, we, we, we need more days off. We're getting hurt. We, you know, all this stuff. Well, I've got a solution. I came up with a solution, and nobody's called me about it. What happens if if you were to change the the minor league rules whereby a team doesn't have a 25-man roster, they have a 40-man roster, and players are limited. They can only play a certain number of games. They can only play 150 games, say, as opposed to 162. They're, they're given guaranteed days off, and you have you can you can bring up a player without getting involved with free agency and getting involved in uh, his becoming a free agent or his, his status as a player, all that stuff. That would give minor league players an opportunity to play more big league, get service time in the big leagues. It gives guys who do get tired and worn down uh, some days off during the season. You could then play more double headers, start the season on April 15th, and don't play in March. That's so stupid to play Midwest games in March. And have more doubleheaders and then use that 40-man roster on your doubleheader days. And that's the days that, like we talked, either Saturday or Sunday, uh, have, have five or six doubleheaders during the year. You can, you can just split doubleheaders. It doesn't matter. If they want to get two gates, that's fine. But that, then on those doubleheader days, that's where you bring up your, your other 15 players and have them play. I think that accomplishes a lot, but you're right. Playing baseball when it's a wind chill factor of 22 degrees as it was in Cincinnati for a couple games and in Chicago, it is insane. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely, you know, I still like the idea and, and I agree with you. I mean, we could, we could come to a happy medium on this. You know, you and I negotiate a lot better than the, the people do in Washington. But I could come to a happy medium on this. I mean, five or six doubleheaders, 15 or 16 doubleheaders a year, split it, go 10 to 12. You're still knocking, Mark, 10 to 12 days off of the schedule where you could start it just when you said 
around April 15th and still end the season a lot sooner than you do, and you're not playing the World Series in November. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Yeah, good point. That you know, there's going to be a time where you're going to have two Midwest teams playing in November, and games. The World Series is going to be snowed out. I can guarantee it's going to happen. And I'm surprised it hasn't happened. But so, you know, it, it does get cold. And uh, I've played baseball games. You know, when it's 40 degrees and 35 degrees, and uh, I've even played in Chicago when it, you know you have snow flurries, and it's it, it's just no fun. And it's so fun to, to watch, or it's so fun to play. Mark, I want to bring up something that uh, it's kind of an embarrassment to me because the lifelong baseball fan that I have been. I got to admit, I had never been to Wrigley Field until this past weekend. Now, I didn't. Oh my God. I did not get to a game. I did not. Go, we did not go see the Brewers play. Um, but I finally got down to Wrigley Wrigley Field, got to Wrigley Wrigleyville as they call it, and looked over that stadium, Mark. I mean, you look at that thing, Mark, and and it's like somebody just dumped a Major League Baseball stadium in the middle of a residential area, which is basically what it is. But the ambiance of that stadium and the surroundings around it are just amazing, Mark. I mean, it it takes you back years. It's what baseball was meant to be. It really is. Yeah, I I, I lived in Chicago for 10 years, and I've probably been to Wrigley Field 100 times. I actually played at Wrigley Field twice, as a matter of fact. And uh, what used to amaze me about playing there was, and I was in the, both times I happened to be in the, in the visitor's dugout and clubhouse, and they were, it was a dump. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was really crummy. And the toilets were bad. I couldn't believe I was in a major league ballpark. But they fixed that. And now, I haven't played there in a number of years, but I understand, you know, everything is, is top drawer, and they've really done a great job. They They've kept the old ambiance of what Wrigley Field was, and the big thing was they kept that old scoreboard, even though they had now, you know, big TV screens out there and, and right in left field. But it, it, it's it's just the coolest place in the summertime, and uh, and it used to be that when the Cubs were really bad, which wasn't that long ago, you could go to Wrigley Field, you know, and, and <laughs> go to the bleachers and nobody be around you. <laughs> yeah, nobody showed up. But uh, that, that's long gone, and Ricketts, the new owner, has invested in that team wisely, and, and it's going to be around for a long time, and it should be. That, that team has all the money in the world, and there's no excuse for that team not to be a, a contender for the next 10, 20 years. And the thing about it is, Mark, when I, when I first saw the stadium, the very first thing that drew my eyes to it were the lights, and how the lights just looked out of place on it. Now, I I had not seen it. Obviously, this is the first time I ever saw it. But, you know, what was it? 15, 20 years ago, there was a big debate that the commissioner said they had to put lights on the stadium because the Cubs were getting better and they were, they may play a playoff game at night. And they had to have the lights put on the stadium They, they and... It was basically a Major League Baseball directive that the Cubs had to put lights in that stadium. Oh, it, there was a big uh, to do about that. I, I lived in Chicago. I, in, in, I went to the first, I went to the second uh, night game in Chicago. In fact, the first one I think was rained out. If I remember, 
had to be eighty had to be eighty six or eighty seven. No, eighty eight. I think it was eighty eight. Um, that I was living there and the first game was rained out and then I, I went to I guess I went to the the, the second lighted game. Uh, and oh there was a big stink about it. Everybody not everybody, many people in Chicago hated the idea of them playing night baseball at Wrigley Field. But it was it was inevitable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it had to happen. I don't know if, if Major League Baseball dictated that, but even when they played, um, they didn't play mini games uh, during the, the late 80s, early 90s down there. So No, initially it was only going to be six, I believe it was six games at night, initially. And, I, you know, I recall that neighborhood even tried to put in a curfew to keep the, the lights from going up in the stadium. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so that they, they couldn't, you know, but it, it just amazed me, Mark, to, to sit there and walk around that stadium and see the people gather around and, and just the little concession stands outside, ticket booths outside. I swear to God there was some guy selling tickets, Mark, that was Goose Gossage. I swear it was Goose Gossage. Somebody asked me, I took a picture and posted it on Facebook of me in front of the big Welcome to Wrigley Field sign. And there was a guy behind me and some guy asked me, he said, is that David Ross behind you? I mean, there are just so many, so many pictures and, and old timers and, and statues and bricks and names on the sidewalk walking up to the Wrigley Field entrance and just seeing it from the outside. I, I, I long for the day that I can get inside, and I'm planning on doing that uh, later on this summer. Um, matter of fact, the Indians are in Chicago. Unfortunately, they play at Comiskey Park the weekend of my birthday in August. But I'm planning on going up back up then and see the Indians play. And then, Mark, believe it or not, the Indians are actually in Cincinnati the night of my birthday. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you going to take me to the game and buy me dinner? I, we may do that. We may even do the show from Montgomery Inn that Monday night prior to then. Good. We're gonna... By the way, I went back and checked, and it was in 1988. Uh, the first night game was August 8th. I think the game on August 7th was rained out, and I went to the game on August 9th. And <laughs> I remember that. was I, I missed the first, you know, the first night game. and uh, But when we... I think we had tickets for, for that series. I forget who they played that night, but uh, it was a big deal to have night baseball in Chicago. And you're right, they limited it to a half a dozen games the first year, but it was inevitable that over time, and everybody knew it, even the, the people who uh, were, were against it, they knew that eventually the Cubs would be playing most of the games at night. And, and, and there was a good reason to do it because, you know, the Cubs always wore out at the end of the year. That was their big thing. They, they would be competitive, but, you know, you play day baseball, day after day after day after day in the heat. It does wear you down. And uh, that was one of the reasons they decided to, to start playing at night. You know, when I walked around Wrigley Field, and we're going to wrap it up here very quickly, but when I walked around Wrigley Field, the biggest thing I remembered, Mark, was Harry Carey. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he's just one of those symbols of Cub baseball and of course they've got the Ron Santos uh statue out there. They've got the Ernie Banks statue out there. 
I I mean they're this is such a lovable franchise that the Cubs have. I mean even even when they beat the Indians, Mark, I wasn't upset in the World Series. Um, they're they're just one of those franchises that I I think it's just it's impossible to hate. Oh yeah. So, what do the Reds have coming up this week, Mark? Are you have well, you banned the state? Have you banned the schedule as of yet? Yes, I'm I continuing to ban the schedule. <laughs> other than the fact that they, they play Milwaukee at home for three games, and I'm not going to look beyond that, Dave. When, when you're when you're seven and twenty-one, you don't look forward to more games. <laughs> well, they've got an <laughs> excuse me uh, an opportunity this weekend to win some games. They've got the Marlins coming to town. Well, I knew you were going to say that. I, in fact, I knew they played the Marlins, but I knew you were going to bring that up, which means the Reds will get swept. So <laughs> I, I had my my luck all set up, and you ruined it. Well, the Indians, the the Reds are following the Indians' pattern. When you're not very good, have fireworks Friday, and that's what they've got coming up this Friday. Fireworks that that always brings a big crowd. Well, they have fireworks every Friday night, Dave. So, well, like I said. They're following the Indians' Indians blueprint. Now let's see if they do it with players. Oh, no, lips to God's ears. <laughs> Mark, have a good week. Same to you, Dave. We'll see you next Friday or next Monday night. Not next Friday, next Monday night. Have a good week, Mark. You too. That's going to do it for tonight's show. As far as the Indians are concerned, they are at home and they are playing uh, this evening, and then they will be taking on Toronto later on this week. So a lot of baseball coming up around the Indians and the Reds. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us here this evening on UltimateSportsTalk.com. The Indians and the Reds trying to keep pace in the Central Division of the American and National League. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, have a good week, everybody.